Uh, we're turning uh, to God's Word now. This is uh, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3. It's a great um, subject this morning for Father's Day as we talk about parenting and specifically the topic of love. And so we're going to uh, use this passage from Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we pray that you would send your Spirit to instruct us, teach us to love the little children that you've brought into our midst, who you've entrusted to us. And uh, Lord, that we would know your great love for us, that we are your children, and that you have bestowed such great love upon us. Would that shape our homes, shape our hearts, shape our minds, shape our relationships, shape our families. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So we're in our second week of a five-part uh, parenting series that we're uh, doing this summer. I know uh, f- for many of you, you may not have kids, and you might think, you know, is this parenting series for me? And actually, all the topics that we're going to talk about are, have relevance and application to all Christians in every area of your life, whether you have children or not. It's going to be a particular application to children. And I would say that the topics that we're going to be covering over the five weeks are basically in the order of importance. And so last week, we looked at the first order of importance was infant baptism, which is talking about God's promises and God's work in the lives of our children. And, but the second most important topic when thinking about parenting is the topic of love. And, you know, if you look through the Bible, there are some important passages in the Bible. The Bible talks directly about parenting, and we're going to look at most of those over the course of this series, some of the important passages on parenting. But if you look through the Bible, you find out there really aren't, the Bible doesn't say that much about parenting. It doesn't give us much instruction on parenting. You might ask that question, why doesn't the Bible tell us more? You know, many of your parents, you know, I could use some help here, I could use some, you know, some tools and things. Why doesn't it say more? Well, I think the reason for that is that one of the most important things to realize about our children is that they are people. And as even though the Bible may not say much about parenting, the Bible has quite a lot to say about how you treat people. And particularly how you care for your neighbor, and especially the weakest neighbors among us. 
And I think one of the things that happens for some reason when we're parents is we start to put our kids in a different category than we do our other neighbor or adults. And we uh, you know, tend to think of them as people that we can boss around and we can make demands of and that we can treat a certain way that they don't deserve necessarily the same level of respect and dignity that we give to other people that we know in our lives. And so one of the first things for us to realize is that our children are our nearest neighbors. And they are our weakest nearest neighbors. And so what does the Bible have to say to us about our weak neighbors is that we are to treat them with love. We are to make ourselves their servants. I think that's a profound insight. And uh, in this passage, which is a passage about the church living together as Christians and how do we treat one another as Christians, Paul says there in verse 14, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And, you know, I think that would be a great mission statement, a great picture for a family, that love would bind everything together in perfect harmony. Isn't that our dream for our, our families? But, you know, love is not only a guiding principle for all of our parenting that, uh, that we would love, but love is also how we understand what a human is. You know, uh, if you look in the Bible... And the Bible tells us what a human being is. The Bible says that the most important thing about a human being is not how they behave, the things they do. It's also not what they know, the knowledge that they have. The most fundamental thing about a human being is their loves, their desires, their longings, the formations of their hearts. And, you know, much of Christian parenting is not focused on the formation of loves, right? Much of Christian parenting is focused on behavior and knowledge, right? We think, you know, if I can just train my children to be good little Christian boys and girls and get them to behave the right way, I've succeeded. Or we think, you know, if I can teach them the right Christian worldview, They can kind of outthink the world, and that will save them from the deception of the world if they can just think right. But one of the things that we see among Christians in American culture is that evangelicals all over our culture believe certain things about the Bible. They have a certain Christian worldview, and yet their life does not reflect that that worldview. Why is that? It's because your life is not shaped by the things that you know. Your life is shaped by the things that you love. And so the formation of the loves of our children is the most important aspect of parenting. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at how love is formed in our children. And this passage tells us three ways that God forms love in them. And this is the three ways. Love is formed by being loved. Love is formed by imitation And love is formed by stories and songs. Three ways that love is formed in the heart of a human being, especially a child. Love is formed by being loved, by imitation, and by stories and songs. So, first point this morning. Love is formed by being loved. And you know, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. You know, that's kind of the basic part of Christian psychology is that you cannot learn to love people unless you yourself have been loved. Which is actually true not just for our children, it's true for us as parents. That we must first know the love of God for ourselves and then we're going to be able to give that love to our children. Unless you have been loved as a parent, you're not going to be able to love your children. And so at the beginning of this passage I just read, I think that's the first thing to think about, that we've accepted God's love for us first. We've known God's love for us. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's 
chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, often when we talk about parenting, we think so much in terms of a technique. Give me a formula that if I do these things, someone who had kids that turned out right, tell me the things you did, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply that same formula, and my kids will turn out that way as well. And our, um, we are so desperate for this technique because we feel a sense of control. We feel a sense of certainty when we know what the formula is, and I applied the formula, and if I applied it right, I should expect the outcome that I, uh, um, that I desire. But parenting is first and foremost about Christ being formed in us as parents. It's about our character. It's not about a formula. It's about who we are. It's about knowing that you as a parent have been chosen by God, that you are filled with God's Spirit, and that you are beloved by Him. And so when it comes to questions, you know, how can I not overreact to my children when they disrespect me? How do I do that? How do I not overreact? It's only because you know you're beloved by God. Or how can I not be shocked at the sin of my children and not shame them for it. It's only when I know I'm a sinner and God has been gracious and patient with me. It's been loving with me. You see, the love of God that I must know for myself as a parent is the most important thing, far more important than any formula or technique. And so if you want to be a good parent, you must come to know deeply the grace of God in your own life and then give that grace to your children. You as a parent must know the grace of God in your own life and then give that grace to your children. And when you do that, what ends up happening is not a formula. There's a certain atmosphere that is formed in the home. There's a certain manner and way that you interact with your kid. It's a certain mood that comes into the home. And this passage describes that kind of atmosphere that God is envisioning in these five words, which I want to I go through each of these five words in, in, in Colossians 3 and, and talk about each one of them just briefly because I think they're kind of surprising things. They're not the first things that we think about with parenting. Okay, so think about these five words. The first is, that Paul says that we should put on compassionate hearts. Being a parent is about meaning, having a compassionate heart. And the word there, splachna, for compassion, is a word that's often used about the Lord Jesus. You know, when he would see crowds who were, you know, that, that were, uh, you know, depressed or they were poor, there were people that were struggling with disabilities, and it talked about Jesus had compassion for the people. It means that his insides kind of turned for them, he ached for them, and then he came and he served them. And this is saying that that same kind of inner ache for, for our children in their weakness is a defining part of a loving home, is that we understand that they're weak, and that we should know that everyone needs grace to make it in this world. I need grace to make it in this world. My children need grace to make it in this world. There are many things they're, they're going to struggle with, and I should be aware of that, and I should show compassion to them that they are weak, and they're immature, and they're learning, and they're growing, and they have sin, and they all, all these things that they're struggling with, I should have a sense of compassion for them. And one of the primary ways that you express that compassion is through the second thing that Paul tells us to put on. It's not just compassionate hearts, but to put on kindness. And you know, kindness is tangibly blessing people. And I've kind of thought about this as one of the ways to be kind is to try as a parent to be a yes parent. You know, I know for me, my first, you know, my kids open their mouth, the first thing that comes out of my mouth, no, you know, I want order, there's chaos, and you're going to ask more of me, and whatever it is, no. And so to pause and say, do I really have to say no? Have I even listened to what the request was before I even said no? And the spirit of kindness is going to say, I'm here to serve my children, and I want to say yes to them. 
I want to bless him. If there are things that I can say yes to. Now, of course, there's a lot of things we're going to have to say no to. That's the next sermon. We're going to be talking about that. And the kids need to learn to hear the no. But the first posture should be that I want to be a yes parent because you know what? God is a yes father. He says he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. He's open-handed. He tells us to ask him for whatever we need, and he will provide for us. He knows what our needs are. And that's one thing. You know, by the way, we may be training our children about prayer and how we respond to their requests. Do fathers give to their children when they ask? And my posture should be one of, yes, I want to bless you if I can. I want to hear what your request is. But to listen to children in their requests and to take them seriously requires a third quality of the atmosphere of a home, not just compassionate hearts, not just kindness, but to put on humility. Humility is one of the most important qualities of being a loving parent. Because we often think of parents, you know, a parent is the one who's in charge. The parent is the one who knows best. And we often don't think of ourselves as needing to be humble. And, you know, some of you maybe grew up in homes where you had parents who never once said in your whole childhood that they did something wrong. Or that was a mistake that they made. And they never humbled themselves before you. And can you just imagine that in a Christian home? Growing up in a Christian home where a parent never acknowledges that they sinned or they failed? I mean... What, you know, how farther from the Christian gospel could that be in training and what the gospel is about? And, um, you know, I've shared with these, you this before. Uh, Randy Williams, who's a, a marriage and family therapist in our church, he, he told me this uh, several years ago, that he said, you know, it's very possible to be in a family where there's all kinds of sin and all kinds of mistakes, and you still have a healthy home. I thought that was immensely encouraging. You can have a tremendous amount of mistakes and sin and wrongdoings and fights that go on and still be a healthy home if there is humility. You can have sin and dysfunction that's happening in the home and really have a, a, a home be broken as well. But if there is humility there, if there is confession, then what happens is God uses the wrongs that we do to our children. He actually uses them as an opportunity for love. And when we share our mistakes and we ask our kids to forgive us and say, you know, I, I shouldn't have treated you that way. I shouldn't have yelled at you that way. I shouldn't have been sharp, you know, short with you that way. I shouldn't have intimidated, intimidated you that way. All of a sudden, our sin, humility makes our sin an opportunity for love and humility and reconciliation for the gospel to come into our home. And so children feel loved by humility. They are drawn to it just like anyone else. Children are drawn to humility just like anyone else. Okay? Now, related to humility is a fourth aspect of the atmosphere of a loving home is to put on meekness. And the word meekness in the Bible is really powerlessness. And, uh, you know, if you get mad at yourself as a parent because you think, you know, I should have this figured out as a parent. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm such a fake. I really don't know what I'm doing. This passage is encouraging us to embrace that. Embrace the powerlessness. I don't know what I'm doing. That's what meekness is. And so let your children share in the fact that you don't know what you're doing. And there may be questions that you ask to your children. You know, I don't know what I think about this. What do you think about it? Let's let them come into the discussion with you. Um, this makes you human and approachable. And a last aspect of the atmosphere is to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness, all things that are surprising as qualities for parents. But the last one is to put on patience. This means that you sympathize with your children and their weaknesses. You help them to carry what is difficult. 
We understand that they're immature. It takes time to learn how to live. And if you are in a place where more and more burdens are constantly being put on you, laid on your children, they're going to come... Uh, they're going to come um, if you're constantly laying burdens on your children, are they going to come to you when they're weighed down? If they don't know that you're patient and you're gracious towards them, are they ever going to speak to you with the troubles that they're having in their life? They're not going to. And so these qualities of love and tenderness and kindness are the most important things for your child's understanding of who God is. I'll tell you, just last week, you know, we had a sermon on infant baptism. We had a lot of visitors last week, and there was a family that was visiting from out of town, and they came and, and talked to me after, and he said, you know, when we were raising our kids, they had grown kids now. And they said, we were reading books, we were listening to all kinds of things about, you know, parenting God's way and focus on the family, and these are the things you do to make your kids turn out as Christian kids. And our children told us in their adult life, you know, we had to go to another church and go away from you guys to actually learn what the gospel was, to learn the good news, that God is gracious and he's kind, he's merciful. And of course, that was a tremendous statement of humility from these parents that they, that they had received that and they'd learned that and, and they were thankful to God that they could now learn that. But we can be very Christian in our parenting and only be laying burdens on our children. And this is one of the most important uh, things for their spiritual lives. You know, um, people are open to God when they are loved. We have to remember that. That's true for adults. That's true for children. People are open to God when they feel loved. And if the atmosphere and mood of the home is harsh and condemning, it's a walking on eggshells, and especially if our children identify that harshness, the mood of the harshness, if they identify that with Christianity and the Bible and God, they're going to run from Christianity and the Bible and God. And, you know, one of the few verses that we have in the New Testament on parenting comes in this passage, that last verse I just read. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It's a warning. The warning of what can happen in a Christian home. And so if that's us, you know, and that is us. I know, it's all, I know that's me. I, I know, this warning comes for all of us about being harsh. I, I know, and the question we need to ask is, do I know God's love for me and his patience and kindness for me? And now the way that God treats me, am I giving that to my children, is one of the first questions we need to be asking. Okay? So first, the most important goal of our parenting is that love is formed in our children, a love for God and a love for people, and that love is first and foremost formed in them when they have been loved. When they've been loved by God and they've been loved by us. And it's basic Christian psychology that you can only learn to love by being loved. And love is not a formula. It is a, an atmosphere. It is a manner. It is a way of interacting. It's a way of relating that looks like compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That's what love looks like. Okay? But the second thing we learn in this passage is not only that love is formed by being loved, but second, love is formed by imitation. The anthropologist Rene Girard says that our desires, our longings, the loves that we have in our hearts, come from imitation. They're mimetic, is the word that he uses. We learn them by imitation. And so this passage says that the way that you learn to be a forgiving person is how? By imitating God, right? See, in the end of verse 13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You learn to forgive by imitating God. Or as Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And you know, one of the main ways that our, your children 
learn to love certain things, whether it's God, whether it's people, whether it's the church, whether it's anything in the world that they love and they, you know, they take delight in, they learn it by seeing that love in others. Love is shared. Desires are shared. You know, so like uh, for me, over these last couple of years, Nick Kelly has shared with me a love for the outdoors. I never did the outdoors. I never did any backpacking or hiking. And he took me with him. There's a love he had. And all of a sudden, that was a love that I learned from him, a desire for out the doors to be up in the mountains. And now that's a love that I've taken with my kids. And I take them up, you know, hiking. And now that's something that they love because I've shared it with them. Love and desires come through imitation, through seeing love and desire in other people, what I should long for. And so, you know, Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And, you know, when you first read that, you think about that as money, that we leave money, you know, to our children's children. I think that's certainly true. But also, as a part of parents, there's many things that we have loves for, a wealth of skills and, and uh, delights that we have in the world that we can share with our children. And this is a powerful thing about being a parent, is that we can share our loves with them. We can bring them into the things that we love. And that's part of the way that love is formed in men. And this is good for our children to learn all kinds of things from us. You know, our, my kids love sports because I love sports. Or my kids love food. My wife cooks food and so they eat all kinds of food because they've learned to love for food. Or just actually the affection of the home, you know, hugs and kisses and being close to one another. These kinds of things are teaching them uh, love through imitation. But loving things in the world is obviously not enough um, for us as Christians. Our children also have to learn not only what to love, but how to order their loves. Our loves have to be ordered. So, for example, if you're a family and you say, you know, one of the things we do is we go to church every Sunday. It's just a non-negotiable. That's what we do on Sunday. It's a beautiful Bellingham day. It's sunny out. You know, and my kids know that I love hiking. I love the outdoors. But I go to church first. What am I teaching my kids? There's an ordering of loves. Sure, God wants us to love the outdoors. He's made all things good. And yet, I love being with God and with his people more. And they are learning not only what to love, but also how to order those loves through imitation of us. And this is such an important thing for us as Christian parents. You know, we as Christians do not believe that there are good things and bad things in the world. There aren't good things and bad things. Everything was made by God good. This world is charged with good things that God has given to us to enjoy. And that should be a sense of being a Christian is we enjoy those things with thanksgiving. What sin does is disorders our loves. Sin says sex is a good thing. But when I love sex more than God, sex is turned into a God and becomes a demon in my life. Money, wealth is a good thing. But when I love money or wealth more than God, it becomes a demon in my life. A reputation is a good thing. But if it means hiding my sins so that people will think well of me, and all of a sudden I love reputation more than honesty. That's a disordered love. And so your kids are learning from you uh, how to love God in his world. And not just what to love, but how to order those loves. And they learn those desires by imitation. And so our children are fundamentally defined by what they love, and love is formed in them first by being loved, and second by imitating love. And that is actually how love is formed in all of us. But there's one more way that this passage says 
that God forms love in the heart of a person is that love is formed by stories and songs. Love is formed by stories and songs. Love, desire, dreams, ambitions, visions of what a good life is come to us. The way that you learn to long for things, it does not come to you through reason. It does not come through information. It does not come through lectures. Love comes into your heart through your imagination. And you see this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Now the Greek word there for the word of Christ is the word logos, which you could translate as the story. Because the word of Christ is the story of Christ that is supposed to dwell in us richly. There's a story that's supposed to live inside us and actually shape who we are. And it's this ancient story that is so beautiful that Paul says the main way you have to learn about it is by singing about it. It comes into us through songs. And so it's through songs. Actually, we're going to talk later about the role of song in the Christian home. We'll talk about that in a, in, in a few weeks. But love, desire, is formed through our imagination. It doesn't come through facts and information. It doesn't come through rules and laws. Your imagination and longing does not come through rules. It comes through behavior. That's not where it comes. And I put a quote for you in, uh, on page three of your bulletin. This is from uh, uh, The Little Prince, which uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, uh, and this great little quote that I think captures what I'm saying here. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. How do we teach our children that longing? The longing for the endless immensity of the sea. And I think one of the ways that our children have to grow up knowing that they are characters in a story. They are living in a story. They are playing the part in a story. And it is the story of a beautiful world that has gone wrong, where an evil prince has enslaved all of humanity. It's a story about the true king of the world, who has come kind of incognito, right? He's come in disguise as a poor man to die for his enemies. And, uh, and, and it was this battle that the evil prince didn't even see was coming. He's tricked the evil prince and now is leading us into a life of love, endless love in God's kingdom forever. Love is formed through the imagination, through stories and songs. And that's what happens when we make reading stories a regular rhythm of our homes. When we read to our children and we capture their imaginations because every story is an echo of the true story that we're living in. Every story is about a good world that has gone bad and a savior who's come to set things right and this world that is more beautiful because it was broken and healed that has now made it more beautiful. And that should be a part of the ethos of our home. So this raises this question, what is our dream for our children? What is your dream for your children? your dream that they would be nice Christian boys and girls? We can pat ourselves on the back that they behave well. Is, is our dream that our children have all the right answers? They have all the right knowledge. And they won't embarrass us by saying the wrong things. Or is our dream for our children that they are by nature rebels? 
They were born slaves of the prince of this world. They were born cursed with hearts of stone. But they have heard a rumor of the true king of the world. And the name of Jesus has gone into them like an incantation that has changed their hearts from stone to soft flesh. And they've been made new. And they are slowly learning to shed the ways of the kingdom of darkness and learn to live as sons and daughters of the true king. That should be our dream for our children, is not good little Christian boys and girls, but lost sinners who've been saved by grace. And that's what we should hope for, for all these kids when they grow up, is that they know how lost they are without God. They know their sinful nature. And they've grown up and they've been deeply humbled by the grace of God to them. And when they've been deeply humbled by the grace of God, then what will they be like? They will be filled with love. And that will be their defining mark. This should be our dream for our children. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these children that you've brought into our midst. We thank you that we too are characters in the great story of your redemption in this world. We pray that you'd fill our hearts with imagination, that you have rescued us uh, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the, the kingdom of light of your beloved Son. And so uh, we pray that you would give us an atmosphere of love in our homes because we know that you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.